that's how we do it. This is the part where we pretend that we haven't been speaking before the before the recording. So, how have you been? Uh, good. Uh, lockdown's been all right. I, I have my day, normal day job still, so I work from home, and hmm. uh, thankfully everything is stable for me, which which is is a, um, I feel lucky about. But then, yeah, things are all right. How about you? Yeah, man. Um, same position as you. Um, apart from I'm allowed to go into work, which is an absolute blessing because in the first lockdown I had to do my job from home and that what not to about what my job actually is but it made doing it quite difficult so I'm very I'm I'm very grateful like physically and mentally that I'm actually allowed to leave the house and it's weird you know it's really weird that we're in a position where we can say I'm so glad that I can still go to work <laughs> like I never thought I'd be in that position um so uh, thank you for coming on as as I said before. Um no, thanks for having me. Nice. So you grew up in Sri Lanka, right? Um question. Yep. You're a stand-up comic. So where was there any performance in your were there any other performers in your family? Uh, none. I uh, I think. Uh there's like a slight artistic streak on my mother's side where mm-hmm. Um, they're all in the, actually, I guess, uh, mu- music. Uh, my grandfather was a full-time musician on my mother's side. Oh. And then my mother and like her, my aunts and uncles on her side, uh, do, uh, what I'm doing now, but chose to not pursue it as a career. So my uncle does music on the side. My mother, uh, paints a lot and she works as an architect. So it's adjacent to mm. her normal work. Um, but then no, no, performance uh, uh at least immediate family wise okay so where did you at what age did you feel like you kind of got the bug for it uh when i moved away because i didn't even really think about uh anything even artistic as, as a viable mm. profession um because i grew up mostly in sri lanka and then I, my family also moved to the u.s for a little bit um and then we moved back to sri lanka uh, so it was five years in the u.s and then uh, six years before and six years after uh, back in Sri Lanka. Uh, and then I was in uni in Malaysia. And then after that, I moved to Berlin. Okay. Whereabouts uh, and that's where I started. Uh, sorry. Um, whereabouts in the US did you move to? Uh, New Jersey. It was like a little town, not a little town, like a, a medium-sized town uh, mm-hmm. in, in northern New Jersey. It was a very immigrant-heavy area. Okay. Uh, which is it, it pretty much was like that area of New Jersey was all of the immigrants that used to move to a borough of New York uh, when they got priced out they just moved to northern New Jersey that's where they half that, an hour outside the city that's where they kept you basically that's where they kept you okay. <laughs> that, it's a bit crudely that's a bit like where have you seen the film Notting Hill uh, uh, I think I watched it with my mother when I was a kid at some point okay that that general genre is very much her, her thing first, yeah so they obviously it's quite a multicultural area and rumor has it that when they were filming they moved a lot of the people out to <laughs> places like to other places at Halston and kept them there for like a few months so yeah, segue from that. Um, what made you want to pick uni in Malaysia? That's an interesting... Uh, it was just a more of a pragmatic thing than mm. anything else. So um, Sri Lanka, the 
public universities are a good quality of education, but very competitive. So mm. um, for every few thousand applicants, there's a few hundred spots. Mm. Um, and then I was an okay student, but then not not uh, best in the country. Good. Uh, so then, um, and then uh, usually people would try to go to a Western country uh, to be educated, which was out of the budget at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the other Asian countries were were the choices. And then I, uh, at the time, very very um, cockily wanted to do to do medicine, which was is more expensive than average to begin with. So then mm-hmm. Malaysia was the uh, only place, or actually, and also only place I ended up getting accepted. That always so. helps, isn't it? That always <laughs> helps. <laughs> that yeah, yeah. the place you're accepted into is the place that you go to. That's right. So, how long did you spend at Uni Malaysia? Uh, five years, and it was it was nice there. I mean, it was nice in its its own way. It was uh, my first time being away from home and at that point I was very much an angsty teenager that didn't like mm. my parents so I uh, just liked being away mm. uh, and then moved back to Sri Lanka after graduating and uh, very much wanted to uh, move away. Uh, I think part, part of that was living in, in the States when I was a kid um, and also partly why I picked uh, medicine as a career and didn't really consider anything artistic because moving away means uh, I need a visa. And then no one really sponsors visas for artists unless you're already wildly successful, mm. uh, which can't happen. It, like you, It's very difficult to start that in Sri Lanka. Um, and I wasn't even thinking about it at that point. Um, so I just uh, applied for, so I did medicine and halfway through realized it, I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, and then also the usual trope of dropping out of university was not financially feasible either. So I finished <laughs> the degree. Um, so I have a degree because even that, uh, I think for, uh, I went to Germany next, uh, even for that to have a visa at all, you need to have a degree. Mm. So if I'm going to have a useless degree that I don't use, might as well be a medical degree. Yeah. Um, and then I, I taught myself uh, computer science stuff just because it was the only a visa sponsoring job that I could do without paying for another degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, just sort of carpet bombed my application throughout Europe, Australia, and America. And then Berlin was the first place, only place I got a job. So then I went. So it's it's somewhat of a, a pattern in my life. Just okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how long after landing in Berlin did you start to think that stand-up comedy was something that you'd like to get into? Uh, it was, I think, maybe uh, quite soon where I was exposed to it, because I remember when I first moved, I was staying in a hostel for a few days before I found an apartment. And then the hostel I was in had a um, comedy club, not a, a full club. It was a show that uh, ran four nights a week that rented mm-hmm. the bar, uh, the basement bar. Um, and it was, it was open mic. What was it called? Oh, uh, Cosmic Comedy. Okay. Yeah, Karen, sorry. And then, uh, and that's usually the place where when people from the UK visited uh, Berlin, that would be the their main stop because the guy that runs the show, uh, who was the, m- pretty much my first friend in Berlin, mm-hmm. uh, was because I was I was new, I didn't know anyone, and then um, he was the only uh, person I knew from just going to the show, and we we used to hang out after the show sometimes, and we talked, and um, so I was exposed to it through that. Um, and then I think it is the very sort of common origin story of seeing enough people bomb terribly <laughs> to think like, oh, I could, I could do this. Um, and, and also I think I, I enjoyed the idea of it. 
Um, but then, uh, yeah, never considered it unless until it was right there because it just didn't seem um, like a thing that I could do. It, it's, it was always something that people, other places, and then uh, I just ended up being in other places. Mm. Uh, so okay. it became, became an option. Yeah, that's, that's cool then. So um, how did your first gig go? That's what, I really, that's what everyone really wants to know. What was <laughs> uh, I think uh, the first gig was uh, good, like, it, it good in that your, your, I think everyone's perception of their first time mm. is skewed heavily. Mm. Um, because I, I mean, for the first like few months or so, you more or less uh, black out on stage and as far as your memory recollection of it afterwards goes mm. um so i and i remember getting off stage first time it went well in that it, people weren't unhappy and there was laughter at some point mm. um and then i remember this happened only that time is two 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 people afterwards wanted to get a picture with me <laughs> hasn't happened once since <laughs> It's been years, not once. Um, and then, so I was like, oh, okay, this is this is fun. And then I proceeded to just bomb for, uh, <laughs> like, hot terribly for, for months after that. Like, I think a few times after that, I had a set where um, early on, I, like, for some reason had this thing in my head where you are supposed to write new material for every set, and that's mm -hmm. the, the way to do it. I didn't understand the concept of, of building a set um so it was one of those times when i was doing something that i just written fresh for that night and it was mm. my third or fourth set and uh i literally went up for two minutes uh and just blanked and then just left the stage after it was i was supposed to be there for five um and the host who, who the same guy uh darmander was really sweet he he uh and a, a very good host as far as just getting the crowd on this the side of all of the performers mm. uh, and then he brought back brought me back up i was on in this first half i bombed brought me back up in the second half and and sort of pep talked me um backstage mm. uh and then i continued to bomb for another three minutes and then <laughs> uh, and then this continued for about six six months or so before it started like there was inklings mm. of of it starting to turn around mm. Well, I think, like, speaking of someone that's been in that position before as well, like, it's it's better to die on stage earlier so you can actually learn to how to do, how to effectively deal with it rather than yeah. kill like have rather than killing on your first one and then <laughs> just not knowing what to do or not knowing what to do when it doesn't not knowing what to do not knowing what to do when it doesn't go well if that makes sense because I found that. It happens specifically with, um, there's uh, um, a comedy course. I know there's a lot in the UK and there's mm. one that runs in Berlin, a, a comedy course. Um, and I remember when I was like three or four months in um, and then there was, they put out a batch of people every, like twice a year or something. So a new batch of them had been been released onto the scene. <laughs> uh, and, and I was, I remember like very clearly being like, terribly intimidated because they they do really well on their first mm. uh, sets because they have sort of a workshop um, set. Uh, but then now a few years on, a lot of those people uh, stagnate because they don't learn mm. that, uh, that beginning sort of mental resilience mm. uh, of, of just um, being bad. And also uh, even like after you have a certain amount of material, writing new material uh, almost feels like, the first time um as far as how with the likelihood of that material to go well 
Mm. Um, and then if you don't have that, that recollection of your early time when that was every set, um, the fear of that later on is, is even worse. Cause I found that with myself after I had like my first seven minutes that was working consistently, uh, mm. that I just didn't want to hurt anymore. So I just kept doing <laughs> the same seven minutes for like four months. Well, that's something to do it. So is it, because in the UK, we start off with five minutes, five minute sets. Is it mm-hmm. different? Is it different in uh, Berlin? No, it's about the same. Okay. Uh, five, like if uh, a promoter doesn't know you or hasn't seen you before, um, it's usually five minutes. And then a few, there was one open mic that was show up to sign up that was getting very crowded. Um, so that was the f- first and only one to go down to three minutes. Mm. Uh, but then generally five minutes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you've done the open mic scene for a bit in, in Berlin. How did you manage to make the leap from doing the open mic to starting the documentary, well, getting the documentaries on Amazon? Uh, that, so getting them on Amazon wasn't um, anything sort of uh, special in that Amazon has like a thing that they us- usually use for indie movies where you um, submit to them. Um, but then it's not like an Amazon original where they put their money behind it. It's you do everything. Um, and they, they vet it for, for sort of quality. Um, mm. and then they put, let it allow it on their platform. But then it was just, I got to a point because the nice thing about Berlin and I'm speaking to people that started in the UK is you get, uh, so much more stage time there just because mm. There's a uh, a lack of competition that also um, is great for that starting out stage. But then part of the reason why I left uh, for London is it's not so good once you sort of feel like you're ready to to do it for real. Mm. Um, so I sort of uh, in my uh, second year or so, I, I had about a half hour that I was happy with and then wanted to do like work that up to an hour. And then uh, I didn't have the concept of the sort of Edinburgh fringe that um, the UK has. Uh, my influences were mostly American. So uh, I was just thinking about having having a special and recording it um, and putting that out myself. Um, and I had that idea in my head. Mm. Um, and then also the documentary was um, just people had been talking about it. And I, I thought it would be a cool thing because the scene in Berlin was a very unique situation. Mm. Um, as far as what it allowed for new performers to to get on stage and get better really quickly. So then it and I it was end of end of 2019. I think I started on that. I just rented some equipment. I did don't didn't have any prior experience in um, anything film related. But then I just did, just did it. And I watched a lot of YouTube videos and 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 tutorials and things like this. There's plenty. That YouTube is your friend to do pretty much anything. And then yeah, this is just. Uh, got it made and i was it was good not great is like looking back on it like i'm happy with it for for what it was and i might remake it with an actual budget at some point if that opportunity ever comes along and then after that the next thing was to do the hour eventually Mm. which i that that's when i realized sort of the the problem with staying in berlin in that uh, you there is a little bit of a bubble uh, which allows for an open mic scene where there's English speakers from all around the world that in, that's enough to support like small shows with 20 to 30 people in the audience, which is great for writing new material. Mm. Uh, but then to build a fan base, uh, and sort of get a buzz going, 
um, it's incredibly difficult because there's just not enough like critical mass really. Mm. Um, but then I just sort of ran my own shows and did the hour in Berlin every week in a different suburb of Berlin for a few months and then toured it around sort of the nearby countries in Europe. Uh, and that again, it was like you're dealing, your, your potential audience is 10% of the population just based on language. And then a smaller percentage of that um, that knows about like, because uh, in the UK, stand-up's part of the culture, the same as it is in the US, and then more so in Australia as it becomes more of a global thing. Um, but then Europe, it, it's very much um, not really, except for people that consume a lot of mostly American media that sort of goes out and and uh, gets Europeans into stand up. So it is kind of surprising. Oh. It is kind of surprising to hear that there's not really much of a much of a big scene in 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 Europe. Like, uh, well, just considering how, because I hear a lot about the I do hear a lot about the Berlin scene, but. It's crazy to hear that it's actually not that big, but then it's, as you say, there's probably a lot of people going to it from the UK, from the UK. So that's what it's all about so much. Um, yeah. How did you build up the hour? That's what I want. That's what I want to know. Cause that's my, that's personally my next step. Really. Mm-hmm. That's my next step. We've only 20 to 30 minutes at Edinburgh. Now it's looking to build up an hour's worth of material. How did you go? How did you manage to make that leap? Uh, it was just doing just just stage time, and then I got to a limit where I was just doing a lot of mics. Um, like there was a point uh, where I was doing like uh, nine ten a week hmm. uh, and doubling up when I could, and um, that gets to a limit at a certain point where you need to. I felt like you need to run the hour as a as a an hour mm. because at some point I had uh, 40 minutes of fragmented material and then when you're doing other people's shows you can't really work it out the way you want mm. to so that was why I started um, at some point it was starting off I just did my own show and um, gave it I forgot what I named it but then just had a few people go up before me and then I would I would quote unquote headline um, mm. and just, just work out my hour and just try and extend it a little bit every week so when I started I was starting at half an hour and I'd have um, two or three friends go on in the first half, and then I'd go on in the second half. Um, someone would open for me with 10, and then I'd do half an hour. And then when I was getting to working up to about 40 minutes, then I wouldn't have an opener in the second half. I'd just be me. Mm. Uh, and then as my set got longer, there were less people in the first half till I was toward the end of the, the shows I was doing outside of Berlin. I had hour, hour 15 that I was doing. And it was, it was just stage time. And then also I'd been to Edinburgh before and saw that uh, like not a single show I went to, like not to discredit any of the shows I saw, I was happy to be in the audience past 40 minutes where I, I was <laughs> looking at my watch. And um, I'd noticed this with, with, when I was doing it as well. Hmm. where like there's a point to 20 and 40 where people that's when they're sort of reconsidering their decision of of leaving the house to come see hmm. you for the night um so stuff like structure became a lot more important i guess where hmm. where um because my like the i do follow more american thing of just the an hour of stand-up is an hour of jokes hmm. uh but then you can sort of because i think that as and this is just from me listening to podcasts and things myself the edinburgh way seems to be that an edinburgh show is a a, a single sort of narrative that's written it's um, a one it's a one person show isn't it mm-hmm. that's what it is it's, um 
Edinburgh favours the one per the one person show where somewhere in the middle well in the first half you're gonna be laughing. Somewhere in the middle, you're gonna be cry- well, they want to try and make you cry because that's what gets the award. And then everyone then the dog then everyone then everything comes back together again. Like the dog is the dog isn't really dead, the dog's actually alive, the family the family's really <laughs> and everything and everything and everything comes back and everything comes full circle. And that's Weird. It is weird that they favour that, though, isn't it? Like, I, I never really under, I haven't really quite understood why that is and why that's the play, why that's the kind of Edinburgh flavour. But it is what it is. Um, how, yeah. how did you manage to like translate the show that you did in Berlin to all these different European countries? It was it wasn't so difficult because there are a lot of I mean in any city there are comics that are are local comics mm. um, who very much are integra- are are of that city and then oh, a lot of their jokes are based around that and I was never that really mm. like even because uh, uh, I'm I'm from such a different um, starting point than most of the people that moved to Berlin because mm. uh, I moved there just just for a job but then. Um, so going there, I found that a lot of people that go there are from other developed countries and they go there because it's an artsy creative place. So it attracts a lot of artsy creative types, which I, I would like, I do creative things, but then mm. there's sort of a, a pragmatism to the way I go about my life that I don't think still quite fits in with the, the stereotype where Berlin, you do find that stereotypical person quite a lot. And that is like a local Berlin comic is, is sort of that. And those are the acts that usually have trouble going elsewhere because it is a a microcosm of life that people other places can't relate to at all. Like most people, most places have jobs they hate right. and, and <laughs> lives that they're not generally happy with um, and aren't going to be uh, sort of relating to a material about getting up at noon and um, smoking weed all day and doing nothing. <laughs> so it, what, that wasn't the most difficult part. It was sort of, figuring out a way to structure it where I think the Edinburgh sort of that structure fits because it's a narrative arc but and I think I um, and this is just me sort of uh theorizing but I think in the UK stand-up is adjacent to theater whereas uh in the states it is is it's very much its own thing and theater is a separate fancy people thing and which I noticed in the UK as well like it, and this is just me sort of observing the differences where because the Berlin general style we had a lot of people from the uk in the scene um but the general style of the scene was more american and the make the the feeling of it like as far as the people i met and then when i look at the scene here as far as just the people i see that are big on tv or the internet Mm -hmm. um or whatever is it's it's a lot more to generalize a lot more posh people that i'm used to seeing doing stand-up oh yeah uh, oh yes <laughs> uh which which it doesn't completely make sense to me because uh like since i because uh, i've always liked stand-up as a kid and then even sort of the culture of stand-up as an art form is sort of it's a it's a scumbag thing it's not mm. it's not it essentially for people that are inside of, of whatever the sort of general society is, is happy with. Uh, whereas here, it seems to be very much that's the the majority of people doing stand-up. Um, mm. And I think that fits with the theater. The, the, that's why it's most like Edinburgh shows might be more fitting that theatrical mm. narrative arc. Because uh, if you look at like U.S. comedians, the ones like, like Chappelle, where, where he'll, his specials will have an arc and it's not a big formulated mm. 
a movie type arc where there's a there's a like third act all hope is lost point and then uh, uh, it comes together in the end uh sort of thing there is there is a structure to it and i think that's all you need uh to and i mean narrative arcs exist for re- that reason to keep an audience with you um mm. for a certain amount of time but then and doing it myself sort of taught me that um and i i prefer to have learned that practically rather than sort of trying to manufacture it as a show cuz also i've uh, like and this is also just from interviews uh like that people write their edinburgh show like they write it and then they do one or two shows to test mm. it out and then that's that's m- most of the show i i can't imagine writing a show like that no um, no i need to for anything to be valid it needs to be an audience needs to say yes guys you made it through part 1 so why don't you click up and go to part 2 for the rest of this conversation see you there